the hound comes up with something special. Kicks it over. It's a white in a box. That they and everybody else is suddenly acting as though this palpably, absolutely out-to-lunch monarch is open to reasonable argument. On the plus side, they've got um, shaky promise from Cersei. <laughs> On the minus side, they've lost a dragon, they've brought down the wall, which was the biggest thing stopping the Night's King coming down, um, and now they've got an army of, a de- of the dead rampaging through the north already. I mean, worst yeah. strategic blunder of all time. Hello. Welcome to Shark Live Royal. I'm Matt. I'm Dave, hello. And here we are, episode 7 of Game of Thrones season 7, The Wolf and the Dragon, and it's the series finale. Um, Surely not, Matt. Surely the massive success of this TV series over the last nearly a decade has led us to definitely always having 10 episodes in a season. Balls to your 10 episodes. We're going (laughs) 7-7. I think partly because I think uh, the creators... Benioff and Weiss, they're looking at this and they're saying, look, we want to get some Shark Live Royal books done again. We want to be listening to those. So can we just <laughs> truncate the the, uh, the series so, um, so so the boys at Shark Live Royal can get back onto the books? Don't worry, guys. We're going to do that. We'll be there for you. But, um, but there's a job to do here. Episode 7, The Wolf and the Dragon. This is... Um, this episode I went into like with my fingers crossed because after last week's, well actually the last two weeks really, um, it's, it's sort of, for the first time Game of Thrones has had a bit of a wobble in terms of its plot, um, a bit of a serious That's wobble. True. So, um, That's true. Let's let's start with uh, where it begins. There's uh, So the Unsullied and the Dothraki are outside King's Landing. All the Unsullied lined up, showing just how disciplined they are as the Dothraki ride past and basically show how undisciplined they are. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I suppose how these the two of... exist in the same army, I do not know. Because it is, it's that stupid looking, isn't it? It's, it's, a, um, it's like the uh, army-sized version of like the odd couple, you know. One's fastidiously neat and plays by the rules, and the others are free, are freewheeling. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Can you imagine, Matt, a sitcom starring Grey Worm and a Dothraki hmm. having to live together in a very small apartment? Mm-hmm. Love it, love it. <laughs> yeah. I love the uh, I love the look of this. Um, it was very atmospheric. You had the, uh, the, the, the Lannisters and the, the soldiers on the walls preparing for a siege, sort of, Blackwater style, bronze getting all the burning pitch ready and all this. Although I did think yeah. as well, I never really believed that this was ever going to go anywhere because, you know, you've got these people sitting down to talk and um, and it didn't feel like the build-up to a battle. I was kind of expecting it not no. to really go anywhere. Well, in the first, in and like for the first time in this entire story universe, we've got everybody in the same place. And in other circumstances, I actually believe... If you hadn't watched any of the preceding episodes, you could just like you could make this into a really cutesy high school movie montage, you know, just like just play uh, underneath it. You got reunited and it feels so good, (laughs) just that. 
with you know with Podrick seeing Bron again and Brienne seeing Jamie again and all of these little these little kind of reunions mm. um it it could have been quite touching and so yeah like you given that I really didn't think that they were about to kill everybody that would have mm. been two game of thrones even for game of thrones <laughs> um so we also have the uh, the boats arriving. Uh, it's most of sort of Daenerys's advisors and like main characters are, are coming in by boats. Uh, you've got the it kind of shows just the the sort of the balance of power a little bit here as well, where you've got basically all it seems all that Lannisters have really got now is King's Landing. It's really defensible um, city. Yeah. And then you've got mm-hmm. so on land it's pretty much Daenerys, but then at sea you see the size of Euron's magic fleet, and um, and like, sort of the the, the few uh, boats that uh, Daenerys is sending over. Um, yeah, yeah. There's a special passenger on board the Daenerys ship as well. Um, the the hound goes down to like the just underneath yeah, underneath the, under the deck, under in the inside the ship, and uh, yeah. As a look at the special passenger, but we'll we'll, we'll come back to that in a bit. It's basically <laughs> something special. It's a wide it's in a box. <laughs> a wide in a box, I'm girl. So, I'm so proud of you for making that <laughs> reference, Matt. That's amazing. Top work. Drop the mic. Leave Leave this episode of the podcast. That you're never topping that. <laughs> um, if anyone doesn't know what I'm on about, check out Lonely Island, um, Dick in a Box, and that'll, uh, that'll explain all... Um, so, oh my word! Hang on, hang on, hang on! I've just realised what goes on in the rest of this episode is also fairly Lonely Island adjacent. Right? <laughs> what do you yeah, mean? Think about it though. Well, we've got Dick in a box, white in a box. White obviously. In a box. We've got we we've we've got. There's at least one occasion where John is so excited about about Daenerys that he jizzes in his pants. <laughs> um, and indeed, on that theme, later on, he he's an auntie lover. She's an auntie lover. They should love each other's aunties. Yeah. They're like they they celebrate incest. <laughs> now all I, and they're on a boat and they're on a boat, Matt. <laughs> Perfect. I actually want somebody to do a, like a fan cut of this episode, just cut together with like all the Lonely Island things <laughs> underneath it. You'd have a trouble with semicolon, I suppose. But. Yeah. Um. Oh no, that that'd be um. You'd have to just to go through the whole series. You'd have to do that um, the correct the grammar correction that Davos did. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Just on, just on me. Fewer. <laughs> um, Semicolon addict. Sorry, carry on. So uh, yeah, then um, there's Cersei. We go into the sort of the uh, the Queen's chambers. Cersei and Kyburn and Jamie in the mountain, sort of getting ready to go down to the uh, to the meeting. And Cersei says to the mountain, you know, if this goes south, kill Daenerys first. Then Tyrion, then Jon Snow, and I quite liked this just this this little uh, line to the mountain because it raises the stakes a bit. Like you know, she's yeah. ready to um to start lopping off heads, and um, yeah, yeah, she's ready for blood if this doesn't go right. Although I am kind of curious, I was at this point quite curious about when the mountain would do something other than sit in the corner of a scene with extremely heavy bleary eyes after a massive night out again <laughs> um, and just stand there menacingly right because he's been resurrected for two seasons now and the entire purpose of that has been for him to stand there and go 
and nothing else. Right? Yeah. He just looks balefully at people through that helmet. It does feel like he's been a little underused, doesn't it? Because um, yeah. I can only think of him killing that that drunk guy who was who peed on his shoes, which was hilarious. <laughs> and um, yeah, one of the sort of one of those. I think it was, did he kill some some guy? One of the members of the that order, you know, um, I can't remember the High Sparrows lot. He killed a couple of those, yeah. didn't he? Um, yeah, no, just just one guy yeah, there but, as well. Yeah, so two 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 kills in two a killer season seems yeah, quite I'm a poor return for the mountain. What Tyrion's killed more people than that? Like. <laughs> yeah. Um, then we go to the, the the meeting. It's in the Dragon Pits, <clears throat> so so they're heading towards that. And um, yeah, it's just this collection of reunions here as they're um, as they're all heading towards the dragon pits. And I I really really enjoyed this. Um, you had sort of Pod and Tyrion and Bronn. Um, I think Tyrion describes them all as a sort of I mean some kind of black Blackwater style reunion. Um, <laughs> you have you have a, re- a really nice um, moment between Brienne and the Hound actually, where yes. they it almost felt like um, two sort of separated parents here like coming together yeah. bonding over this that the sharing that's a shared love of the child and um, i was gonna say that yeah. yeah yeah and when brienne says you know i is still alive the hound like is surprised and like obviously quite pleased and then when when brienne says you know she doesn't need protecting anymore uh, the people you got to worry about it's whoever gets in her way the hound actually smiles I think it's. I think in in seven seasons, it's the first time you've seen this guy smile, which I thought was quite a nice touch. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I I, can't, I would have hoped for that to come at a slightly more character focused moment, right? Because this is a it's kind of a grab bag of character moments, and we just skipped past it. But there was so much richness in this. There's another bit later on with Brienne mm. where I was like, oh man, that's a huge moment. How have we only given eight seconds of screen time to it? Mm. Um, but um, but yeah, no, I did. I, I did quite like also the sort of mad melange of people who have fought together at various points and are now on opposing sides. But how those friendships kind of persist. Hmm. And it was a really interesting um, image for me of how this kind of dynastic politics works, even when you're not having a country wrecking war. You know, where everybody's been at school with everybody else. I mean, about World War One. Um, where basically all the diplomats on all sides of that had been to the same three universities. Hmm. You know what I mean? And all kind of knew each other. And you would have thought that that would have led to a better chance for peace. Hmm. Um, and here you have kind of, you have like, you know, like the the kind of mentor, the worst mentor in the universe where Bronn takes Pod off for a drink. And that <laughs> sort of thing. And you're like, he's definitely got some good pointers to give you at this point, Pod, for sure. How to avoid being attacked by a dragon. How to find magic underwater conveyor belts, you know all the stuff that Bronze got to tell you now. Yeah, it, there was um, an underlying real tension here as well. This it, it was a, a nice. What I really liked about this is you had those two feelings. One, it's like it was nice to see some of these characters uh, meeting again, but also you didn't really know how it was gonna how it was gonna go between them, and and you could see how it could get quite bad quite quickly i mean but when bron yeah. takes pod away it's like let's come on let's go get a drink i was i was equally like oh that's a knife reunion and also thinking i could easily just see bron taking him to one side and knifing him um mm. it's it was yeah. it was like i don't i just don't know which way this is going to go and you kind of got that feeling when the um most of the lot show up 
and they were at the dragon yeah. pits which visually was brilliant um i thought it was a oh, really yeah. great setting and and yeah. they're just waiting for cersei to turn up and saying to each other you know is this a trap <laughs> so, <laughs> how's this gonna go down yeah. yeah not an unreasonable question to ask i would say yeah. um and that and and yeah you're right there was tension and as much as after the fact i like that kind of bromance moment between bron and pod um in the moment i was definitely quite scared because they even did a shot of bron putting his hand around pod's shoulders and them kind of walking off hmm. and it just it made me realize that of all the things you would spend screen time on in this scene bron stabbing pod would be so pointless hmm. neither of them are really protagonists you know neither of them are the people that we're there for hmm. but there's still I was on such an edge waiting to see this happen mm. that I was convinced that um, uh, that something bad was going to go down. And, and so I was just, for that extent, it was really fantastically kind of mounted. Yeah. And, and also for you, because of your pet theory, there's extra tension here because Pod is tantalizingly <laughs> close to the to physically to the Iron Throne here. <laughs> That's amazing. So, like, if I'd have really been on it, I would have been sitting there going, "Go postal, Pod, take him <laughs> out. It's yours for the taking. Pod for the Iron Throne." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we have this. Let, let's talk about the the Hound and the Mountain then, because once everyone arrives, oh shit, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> the Hound sort of just walks as soon as he sees his brother. Walks up to him, um, says, "You know what did they do to you? You're even uglier than I am now." Um, and, and then says, "It doesn't matter. Um, you know who's coming for you. You've always known. Who's is he referring to himself here? Or is he referring to something else?" I I was both yeah. really intrigued by this and a little confused. Well, that's a very interesting question, isn't it? Because I wondered if this was kind of the the zeal of the convert. If this was, if this was uh, the hound getting a little bit carried away with, oh my word, you know, I'm now following a god who's actually real, mm. and he's gonna fuck everybody up because I tell him to, you know, that kind of immature zealot kind of thing. Mm. Um, but that wouldn't, I don't think we've really had that established well enough. Yeah. So maybe it's maybe it's just the hound's way of turning, facing this thing that he's he's totally scared of and telling it that he doesn't give a shit. Yeah. It, to the point of massively violating diplomatic protocol. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, it was hilarious. It was like all the sides get sat down and there's like all these significant glances, you know, queen at queen, king at queen, king at other queen. You know, all these people, massive, you know, in this incredibly dramatic environment. A dragon's just landed. The tension you could cut with a butter knife, right? And the first thing that happens is that possibly the most insane living person at this event gets up and faces off with the most insane dead person at this event. Yeah. And I thought that was... And to that extent, isn't it interesting? You know, that could be... That's an interesting parallel of what's actually going on. Like the two, the Clegane brothers. Clegane Bowl is on because it's been made a kind of microcosm of the whole war that's going that's going to kind of go on around them. Mm. Um you know, you you know the the living the living bastard versus the dead bastard. You know, um, and, and which side he wants. So I think I think that's probably what the hound was doing there is, is stepping up and being like, I'm not scared of you anymore. Yeah, you know that I'm going to kill you. Yeah, I, I think yeah, the likelihood is is referring to him either himself here or yeah, the sort of what the wider red god is coming for 
is coming for the mountain. Either way, looking forward to seeing what happens. Um, mm. So, yeah, as you say, Daenerys then arrives on the dragon. Um, big entrance. Uh, this is sort of finally the... Um, this is probably why they didn't do the Daenerys arrives on Dragonback to impress the Dothraki um, back in uh, yeah. the last season because they wanted yeah. to do it now. Um, yeah, this this was this was good. It's, it's basically a lot of this stuff at the start is a Daenerys show of force, isn't it? With the Unsullied and Dothraki outside King's Landing, with the the dragons coming in here. Um, yeah, as you say, in a similar way to what happens with the the Hound in the Mountains, sort of breaking protocol. Um, Tyrion gets up to start to speak. Oh, just before this, Cersei um, is like basically like you're late and sneers at her. And I just thought Cersei does snide better than anyone else, doesn't she? She, she does really <laughs> well, doesn't she? But isn't it? But it's dead interesting to me that that is both a strength of hers in that situation, but also a huge weakness. What are you try to do? Knock her off? Hmm. Like, are you are you under the impression that she's a teenager? I mean, she may character-wise still be a teenager, although I doubt it. Hmm. But you know, like. What she is is somebody who has been sold for marriage, burned alive, sold into slavery, reduced literally to having nothing apart from the dragon she just landed on when it was a lot smaller than it was now. Mm. And your your play, your first roll of the dice play to really put her on the back foot is to act like mean girls. <laughs> what? I don't think your usual approach is going to work here, Cersei. <laughs> Hey, it's too late to change now. She is who she is. <laughs> um, One of the plastics. <laughs> so Tyrion starts <clears throat> to say, you know, we all don't like each other, but we've got we've got something to talk about. Immediately interrupted by Euron. <laughs> Whenever he starts talking, uh, I've got it. I, I always enjoy it. Um, he gets up and <laughs> basically insults Tyrion and says, you know, this uh, just basically shouts over to Theon that he needs he should come over and submit now, and everybody else all pretty much rolls their eyes and like you're on just sit the fuck down. <laughs> yeah, it is, isn't it? It's like I'm sorry, I was under the impression this is a dick measuring contest, so I'm here to measure my dick. He is. He's Lord Flashart if he was a Viking. Is what is what Euron Greyjoy is playing now. Woof. <laughs> And nobody's got any time for it at all. <laughs> I liked. It. I think I enjoyed Tyrion's quite dry response. Sort of. I thought we were going to start with more important matters than this. <laughs> I, and I love Tyrion's ability to stay like on the cusp of a, like a history-making speech mm. while somebody's being an absolute knob. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like where he's get, where he's getting heckled, and his ability to not like he doesn't have to shut him down. He just has to kind of wait for yeah. everybody to be like. You're on. Have a seat. You've had a few. Fair play. Come on, sit down. Sit down. Yeah. Um. So John, John then gets up and does his is now sort of quite well rehearsed. There's a dead army on the way. Speech. Um, yeah. He he asks uh, for you know the asks Cersei for a truce and asks her to pull back her armies and she says you know why should I pull back my armies? There's a lot of talk through the series about what Cersei's going to do with her various armies. And I think this is one of the problems with the speed of moved art. A lot of the time, I yeah. just feel a little confused with this. I'm like, well, what armies? What? Because yeah. it, from from all I can see from on screen, she's kind of just stuck behind King's Landing's walls now because everybody else got obliterated. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, Highgarden, no? Uh, yeah. Are they not all still at Highgarden? Or, but again, like the travel time has been that they could be in fucking mints. Could be anywhere. Now, I wouldn't know. Yeah. And, and, yeah. Al- and also, just the fact that the Unsullied and Dothraki have just sort of 
traipsed all the way across country. Well, the unsullied especially. Yeah, from Lannisport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, they've so they've they've so, marched all the way across the continent unchallenged. So what are what are her armies doing? You, you, yeah. Because they've just let the unsullied <laughs> march all the way to the gates of King's Landing without stopping them. Yeah. Actually, that is an excellent point. Where are her armies? Yeah. That is my question. I reckon it's bollocks. I reckon she doesn't have any. This is just a massive bluff. She's like, I will not pull back my <clears throat> my armies. <laughs> <laughs> yes, my armies, plural. Yeah. Which are definitely present in more than one place and contain more than eight teenagers yeah. and Ed Sheeran. Like. <laughs> yeah, this is this is a bit of a problem underlying the whole discussions here because yeah. you know whatever what everyone's telling you from the Daenerys and Jon side is we need Cersei on board because she's such a threat in the South if yeah. we leave her to her own devices. But everything else that we've seen from sort of the loot train onwards sort of suggests that, and even, even from what she said about, oh, it might be good for us to make a peace now, and what Jamie said about we can't win, it, everything from that side suggests she's done, pretty much. That The yeah. war's almost over down here. So yeah. so why? So, so Have they got such poor intelligence that they're, um, they think she's still such a massive threat? Well, and um, why have they got such poor intelligence that they and everybody else is suddenly acting as though this palpably, absolutely out-to-lunch monarch is open to reasonable argument? Yeah. Like, and I, f- I actually felt like that was a that was a really huge problem. And I, I've said this last week and the week before, that this whole, you know, Day of the Dead thing of let's go and find a zombie and do it and bring him back and, and you know, and, you know, because of reasons. Hmm. Um was was a really poorly conceived plan and it's so poorly conceived compared to the characters and the storylines they've built up over six seasons before this seven seasons before this is even when i'm watching lena heady who's one of the greatest actors working on tv at the moment play this character and play her as though she's open to debate i'm still going that's wrong though like Mm. it's as wrong as if she stood up and started doing a speech from you know, from um, the imitation came in a, in a flawless Benedict Cumberbatch impression. I don't mm. care if it's flawless; it's still wrong, and it's just I just did not, still did not buy it. So this whole scene and every piece of the plot that's predicated on this preposterous idea that Cersei is rational is just lost on me, completely lost on me. So I'm I'm nibbling the edges around it. I'm going for the little, the small character moments of which there were many mm. and really interesting ones. Because the central piece, I'm just like, well, I know where you're trying to get to, so I assume you'll get there in mm. terms of the plot. Yeah, because because of these dynamics. Also, they've got a collection of people on Daenerys' side that know her as that know Cersei really well. They know how mad she is and yeah. how and how un, how irrational she is. So, yeah, yeah, it does. It does. Yeah, it's still it's it's always an underlying problem with with the last few episodes. This isn't it. Whenever we. Because so much is built on this plot um, point, and it, it's just so shaky. Anyway, yeah. Um, so yeah, Cer- Cersei says, "Why? Why would I pull back my armies? You just you're talking crap here. This is this is rubbish. All this talk of monsters beyond the wall." So yeah. then the Hound comes up with something special, kicks it over. <laughs> it's a white in a box. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, the white jumps it's, out, and, and it's still funny. <laughs> yeah, and this white, it's it's quite good because at first nothing happens, and you're thinking, oh, 
Has it just yeah. like has it just stopped moving? Because in which yeah, case you're just going to throw up a dead body. <laughs> right. And you're thinking that did happen to Sir Alistair before yeah. when he took a took a hand down and, and let it die rather than talk to a, an underling about it. <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> fucking wanker. But um but then also you you're like if seriously, if this thing is dead, I'm going to throw my TV out of the window and I'm on quite a high floor right now. <laughs> like, if that's what had happened. But of course it doesn't. Yeah. So, no, it doesn't. Instead, it um, it gives the ultimate sort of Oscar-winning... If, if this white was trying to convince people that it's a dangerous undead creature... Then it, it, it it's perfect because it it sort of it does it does the run right at Cersei right at the person they're trying to convince, and then yeah. when it, it gets chopped in half and continues to sort of writhe around and it loses an arm and the arm continues to writhe around, um, John then does his sort of demonstration saying he can kill it with fire and dragon glass. I'd have liked to have seen the the dragon glass demonstration before Beyond the Wall just because. Yeah. It, it felt like yeah. it was a bit back to front because you've seen them all do that. Um, but it was, like I said, said last time, it felt a little confusing when they suddenly started using these daggers which hadn't appeared yet. That's um, true. And this dagger looked pretty badass as well. Like, yeah, I was yeah. very surprised that they didn't set it up properly before the last episode. Because I And I forgot that we know that because we've watched all the episodes of this series and talked about them quite a lot. Mm. So we have quite a good recall of all of this stuff. But the sort of casual viewer would be like, hang on, how come his sword worked that time and it didn't work the other time? Mm. Um, I'll tell you the other thing that I love about this scene, sorry, just before we do the next bit, is um, is, is the, the millimetric perfection of the chain that they've got around this thing's neck. Yeah. That it's able to run from exactly where they left the box to exactly one foot in front of Cersei's throne without, you know, savaging her to death. Because, because, I mean, can, like, there is a comedy sketch in that, isn't there? The hound kicks the box <laughs> forward six inches too far and the thing ends up biting off Cersei's nose. And you're like, oh, sorry, that was supposed to convince you that we should enter into an alliance together, which I now realise, given the outcome, is a slightly unorthodox approach. Sorry, we'll just, I'll get my coat. See you later. <laughs> um, the I, I also love how Kyburn's just loving it, like... This like undead oh, white is like ooh. fuck, isn't it? I tell you what, he's honestly he reckons he's he's the Marshal Pétain of this scenario, isn't he? The end of, somewhere in the middle of the next series, after twenty years of story time have elapsed or whatever mental thing they do next, he's going to be the one trying to make a deal with the Knights King. Isn't he? He's going to be like, <laughs> just make me your commander in the south. I will command in the south. I love zombies. I've always loved zombies. Zombies are my jam, man. <laughs> yeah, he's um. He picks up the hand and like looks at it, and I saw a really great meme um, that referenced to Arrested Development. He's holding the hand, and it's just below. It says, "And that's why you always leave a note." <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, Euron takes one look at all this and just goes, "I'm out. Peace. <laughs> I'm gone. I don't care." <laughs> I actually really like this um, because I thought it was entirely in character it just basically says can they swim no right well I'm I'm off on my island um, and good luck to the rest of you fools and he actually says to Daenerys as well um, you should do the same and then once this Night King's taking care of everyone there'll just be us left because you saw I like the expression on Euron's face as uh, Daenerys arrives as well and he's like ooh 
hey, maybe I'm up to the wrong <laughs> queen here. He's such a dick, yeah. isn't he? <laughs> he is. Absolutely thinks with his penis. And it's just, it it was, and you're right, it was absolutely in character that he would do this. Um, I mean, obviously there's a revelation coming uh, about him. But, um, uh, yeah, so I don't know, do you want to do that now or later? Um, yeah, it's, yeah, so it, um We'll, we'll we'll head back to that later, but yeah, I was a little disappointed in the revelation because I thought this was better that he just genuinely wants to, he's genuinely yeah. leaving, and I didn't yeah. see how they would have thrashed out this sort of this farce of like beforehand. Yeah. Yeah. He did, yeah. ni- neither character seems quite like forward thinking enough to do that, um, no, and the way true. the way he delivers yeah. it, he's not really much of an actor. You run so yeah, it, apparently it's all yeah. this is all an act because he's really taking the fleet to cause more trouble later on as we'll talk about yeah but and wouldn't that whole plan have rested on the idea that they knew this thing was coming and they knew therefore that <laughs> yeah. would be the perfect guy to leave the room credibly that you know can they swim he doesn't know what the pissing thing is until they've arrived there is this massive state secret yeah if they knew already what on earth are they yeah it doesn't it, it, it super doesn't work I, I suppose it make it makes more sense if if you look at it as this is genuine as he walks away and then Cersei gets to him later um and says look don't just stay on the iron islands we're gonna we're gonna have a rollicking good time fucking shit up down here while uh, everybody else is is gone uh, i suppose yeah. that makes sense um but yeah i, I reckon here he's genuinely I, i'm done good luck to you losers um see you see you all <laughs> post night king battle um yeah so cersei actually says she'll accept a truce um, if John promises to stay neutral in the sort of the war after the Night's King. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you can kind of understand for all, I mean, to, to understand any any sort of thought process with Cersei around this, you have to accept that she is going to say keeping herself and her family in power is more important than, it is worth risking the lives of everybody. Um, that's the main thing for her. She's not going to put the realm yeah. first. Um, yeah. In that context, it makes sense for her to worry about what happens next, because you know she dies anyway. If um, even if they defeat the Night's King together, because um, yeah. she believes she'll still be obviously Daenerys still wants the the throne. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's asking for the, for John to stay neutral, and John says, "Sorry, too late." I've already pledged myself <laughs> to Daenerys. Um. What, what a place to make the announcement, eh? <laughs> like, what what an amazing place to do that. Because um, yeah. nobody else knows. Like, yeah. it happened when he was in bed, full of wounds. Yeah. Um, but I, I and there's a and actually this is something that's going to come up throughout the rest of the episode as well. I, I sort of love how comfortable John is being his father's son, being Ned Stark's son, I should say. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, like how comfortable where he's like, you know what, I've literally died and come back and I'm not changing who I am and I'm not changing how I do things. Hmm. And how how Jon Snow does things is he tells the truth. Yeah. And everybody's pissed with him, but at the same time, everybody sort of is like, everybody, I think everybody would have been more disappointed and certainly it would have been a more fatal blow to their cause if he'd have lied. Yeah. Because everybody would have been like, oh shit. Didn't know he could do that. Yeah, 
And um, oh yeah, everyone's everyone gives him the third degree over this, which is really harsh. And he, yeah. his his response is really really good. He says this really great quote. He says, um, "When enough people make false promises, words stop meaning anything, and then oh. there are no more answers, just better and better lies." And it's yeah, and, and it, this is mirrored uh, really well later on with what happens with Littlefinger, uh, who, yeah, well, who shows I, I, what happens when you, you know, when you when you lie and lie and lie and lie, and then when you even try yeah. and sort of find some truth in everything you've been doing, the there's so many lies around it, that you're sort of dragged down by all of that. Yeah. Um. Absolutely. It's it's um. It's a really interesting kind of moment. I also feel like this is one of the moments, sort of the noble version of the top knot gag that they did about uh, Thoros of Mir a while back, mm. where they like where current events begins to reflect in on it. And I think, I think, it's definitely, it's definitely felt to be true that there's, it's too easy to tell lies mm. um, these days and too easy publicly to be dishonest. And um, and I really like the fact that they have used the story structure they've spent such a long time building to say that. Mm. Like, that strikes me as really important, and I really appreciate it. Mm. Uh, so, as, as Cersei then says, right, well, we're I'm done, I'm out. Um, so she, she leaves. As she leaves, Brienne tries to convince Jamie to sort of to, 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 to side with them, and obviously he says yeah. no. Um, yeah, well, and, uh, and what she says in response, holy shit. Yeah, yeah, forget like, about loyalty. This is, there are bigger things at stake. Um, yeah, and like, and she specifically says this is bigger than oaths, hmm. which is obviously huge because their whole relationship revolved around the fact that she keeps oaths and he doesn't. Hmm. And he admires her for that and, in a sense, loves her for that. Um, and in fact, gave her a Valyrian steel sword called Oathkeeper because of that. Yeah. And then, and it's so there's a lot of groundwork that's gone into that one line. And you know, Gwendolyn Christie, fair play, nails it because she's a pro. But you are a bit like, oh man, that should have been a that should have been a dramatic high point of an episode. That shouldn't have been a by the way on the way out of the arena. Because mm. um, it's it's a huge deal for Brienne to be so convinced that she says fuck loyalty. Like that's that's just incredibly powerful, and you know who knows maybe maybe that's part of an ongoing Jamie storyline which we will come to see. Mm. Um, but I'm I'm very, yeah. I'm, I I thought that was a huge moment for me. Yeah, um, Tyrion isn't going to give up. He says, right, I'm going to go and talk to a one on one, and see if um if I can sort it. So they. <sighs> Yeah, risky, risky, risky. Very play. much. Yeah. Um. So so they go. So he goes to see to see Cersei. Um, and you know he says, you know, if, if this doesn't work, we're back where we started. So I've got to try. Um, well, they'd be back where they started, but Tyrion's dead as well, which is a I'd imagine would be a problem. Um. So again, so Tyrion tries to convince Cersei. Um, he's obviously in massive danger here, just going on his own. There's a little chat with um, with Jamie before he goes in, and then we've got this scene between Tyrion and Cersei, which is really, really great from both both actors. Um, yeah. I mean, it, there's some really good good drama here where you know Cersei blames Tyrion for 
for the kids' deaths. She basically says, when you killed Tywin, you sentenced the other two kids to death because you made us vulnerable. Um, yeah. And and Tyrion sort of yeah, I, I like the conversation around those two kids um, because yeah. they're sort of the the innocent ones who've been caught up in this, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, very much. And this conversation was the conversation that I was pissed we didn't get in full between Tyrion and Jamie when Tyrion and Jamie met a couple of episodes back. Yeah. Because he was he's just I mean, and Peter Dinklage, what an actor. Can we award Oscars for T V series? <laughs> really feel like we need to do that at this point because he is nailing it. And and just he's he's just he's he's filled with the story that he needs to tell about why he did what he did. And he's so he's not apologizing for it, but he needs to talk about how devalued and unloved he has been and what that has done to his life. Mm. And this is the conversation where he gets to say that. And this is the conversation where he also gets to say, look, I didn't want to kill your children. And I didn't kill your children. I killed my father who was trying to kill me. Mm. Um, But, you know, like his whole account of himself was just great. And like a good actor obviously could do an entire series without ever having this big, you know, come out and lay it all on the table kind of moment. But it felt appropriate to me because we're really approaching this sort of end game moment, this kind of end of all things, end of the world feeling that Tyrion has this thing that he really feels like he needs to say openly because he's a man of words. And ah, oh, just the dialogue in this. Holy crap. Mm. Amazing. What performances. He goes so far as to dare Cersei and actively provoke her to killing him. Yeah. Um, and she doesn't do it. This was a hell of a gamble. It felt to me like he went so far, yeah. Tyrion. It felt to me like he wanted her to kill him. And I couldn't yeah. for the life of me work out why. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, yeah, maybe he's really having the kind of like a Lannister war within himself between the, you know, set the world on fire just to watch it burn hmm. stuff. And the kind of, you know, play the long game, play for power, you know, build your presence and so on. And, um, uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think he's conflicted. I think he's like, well, I need to do this rhetorically in order to show her how serious I am about being here and the risk that I've taken in being here. Mm. But I also, if it happens, you know, there we go. Roll the dice and now I'm dead and now I don't have to deal with this shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and that was that was sobering. Great, great stuff. Yeah. The... um. This whole thing with, yeah, trying to convince her here, Cersei, the, I think it comes to a head where um, Tyrion says, you know, what do you want? You know, he, 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 and he's trying to say that this is, we need to come together for the good of everybody here. It's bigger than just us. And Cersei's reply is, I am the world. She says, I am the world. And I think that 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 quote should should make it clear to Tyrion that, a, this is a this is just how pointless this whole exercise is trying to get her to come on side, yeah. and how even if she says she's supporting you, you can't believe a word she says because all she cares about is what's yeah. best for her specifically and her family. Yeah, yeah, and and the people that she has chosen to love and continue loving, mm. right? The people who she loves and who then haven't done anything particularly serious to forfeit that love. Because she's also quite quick to get rid of her. Well, not quick, I should say. We see that twice in this episode. Hmm. She's not quick to get rid of a family member, but she's not at all averse to despising her family members, right? Yeah. Um, Up to and including her twin brother and father of her child. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. yeah, but it just couldn't be more. It couldn't be clearer here by saying, I, if if you're trying to get someone to do something for the greater good, if they have explicitly have a mindset which is, I am the world. Yeah, it, I am the greater good. Yeah, it, then then this is entirely pointless, and you'd think Tyrion yeah. would see that. Um, I know why they've done it. Sorry, just had a proper revelation moment. Go on. Um, all of these characters are never going to be in the same place ever again. No. All of these characters have yet to all be in the same place ever in this sort of story universe. Hmm. You need to have one moment, one pinch point where everybody sits down and talks. So that's why. Like, the, the, structurally, the entire series wouldn't work unless you actually had this moment where everybody's competing needs actually collide hmm. in a sort of traditionally dramatic way rather than this kind of implicit political sort of way. Hmm. Um, and, yeah, like, that's why they've done it. And I have to say, if George Martin's idea was, oh, I don't know, send him on a zombie-finding mission, I'm disappointed because I thought George Martin was a better storyteller than that. Mm. Um, but that's why they've done this you're right again this scene shows us why it was a stupid plan from the beginning and even Peter Dinklage and Lena Headey can't distract us from that fact so it is a really shit piece of plotting Um, but they've done it because they're never going to be in the same place again and they have yet to all be in the same place now Mm. the only thing you needed was Arya walking around the edges going I'll have them all (laughs) Um, the the scene ends with Tyrion realising that Cersei's pregnant um, and then we cut back to the dragon pits John and Danny are having a little bit of a chat um, a little bit of flirting and uh, <laughs> around a dragon skull and <laughs> D- D- Daenerys- I love that, don't yeah. you love that like hey I've got the skull of a dead beast here baby, <laughs> let's talk and John's like you know what, who said you can't have kids you know Maybe that was wrong, <laughs> and Daenerys is like, "Oh yeah, I didn't think about it that way." But <laughs> <laughs> love it, absolutely love it. Yeah, like yeah, you, you're taking the word of this woman that was literally trying to kill you and curse you, mm. and you've believed it. Yeah. Question mark. <laughs> Tyrion and Cersei return, and uh, Cersei says, "Okay, I'm in. We're marching north," and and everyone's like, "Hooray! Cersei's come round." Yay! <laughs> it's all worked. He's, again, you're thinking, "Come on, come on, everybody! <laughs> we've got some. We've got some really like astute political minds in this dragon pit. Do we all really believe this?" But okay. Yeah. Um. Up to Winterfell, Sansa's got a note, basically saying John's bent the knee. And she's like, what? This shit again? <laughs> <laughs> oh, hell no, is her, is her response. Except in a very, you know, kind of posh, slightly nasal English accent. Yeah. Oh, hell no. <laughs> oh, hell no. Um, fingers in her ear saying, you know, um, yeah, m- maybe John's had his head turned by this beautiful queen. And uh, and then he moves, moves the sort of quite, quite slickly moves the conversation on to Arya saying um, you know why is she acting all weird think about the worst yeah. you know, play this game that I do which is you know worst case scenario and Sansa's like oh maybe she wants to kill me <laughs> and at this point 
although we see what happens later on at this point i, I was yeah. i was like sansa how can you think that she had a na- literally had a knife to your throat with no one else in the room last week and she didn't telling kill you him. how she could get away with it yeah like telling you why it would work for her yeah <sighs> and she yeah. didn't oh, so it... yeah and it's interesting given what happens later how there was a piece of me which has ceased to be engaged with these scenes and I remembered something that I actually tweeted about three seasons back when I was getting frustrated with the complete predictability of certain characters, including Littlefinger, mm. doing bastardly things and getting away with it. Where I was like, if you keep asking me to be engaged in these scenes and worry about what the outcome is, and the outcome is always the same, I will stop worrying about what the outcome of the scenes is. And mm. I found myself thinking that here as well. I was like, oh, for of course, and yeah. actually, I was watching it. We had a watch party with a load of friends, and me and another friend of mine were sitting at the back, literally tutting like teenagers. We were literally <laughs> sitting there going, "Oh God, oh really? For fuck's sake!" <laughs> oh, <laughs> and like when a TV series has reduced you to that, I think you have to say that that is a problem with the storytelling approach of the series in question. Now, never mind that the series then went ahead and gave me what I've been asking for for seven years later on. <laughs> in this scene I was like I'll just knock it off would you please <laughs> we then go to Dragonstone um, they, we're back on Dragonstone now with Daenerys and friends um, and they're deciding what to do and they're going to send the Unsullied and Dothraki north obviously and they, they're working out how they're going to go there as well and John's all like perhaps we should take a romantic boat ride up to uh up to White Harbour yeah. together. And oh, I certainly hadn't <laughs> noticed that. <laughs> That's amazing. And and Jory jo- jo- does this sort of just last desperate attempt to cock block, where he's like, no, <laughs> we maybe take your dragon because it's safer. Um, it's dangerous the other way. <laughs> and Daenerys, Daenerys is all, yeah, we're going on the boat ride, Jorah, so uh, you've, um, you don't worry about it. And he just sort of looks all sad and goes, Khaleesi. <laughs> Poor Jorah. Oh, and you, you do feel for him, don't you? He's he's mm. literally, almost literally come back from the dead in order to pursue this romance. <laughs> and then suddenly Jon Snow turns up being all brooding and not smiling very much and impossibly charismatic <laughs> with his face. Yeah, I mean, I'd imagine Tyrion would advise the Jorah route here as well, basically. Yeah. You know, take the safest route. Go go by Khaleesi jet because there's it's just too dangerous on the road. Uh, a stray arrow ends it all. But um, Daenerys, you know, isn't afraid to um, sort of to gamble ever so often with you know her safety, is she? So um, no, not at all. I mean, I think, I think you have including to. flying into the north with what appeared to be impeccably tailored but definitely not armored clothes. Yeah, to go and fight a zombie horde. Yeah, I think in this world, though, to be a successful ruler, you have to be able to sort of take a few risks with your own life from time to time, or else people don't don't respect you, do they? Um, if you look yeah. at how which ones have worked and which ones haven't you know, over the last few seasons. Um, yeah. So then, let me just have a look. Where are we? Oh yeah, then we go into into the sort of the the main hall in Dragonstone. Well, we have this encounter between Theon and John, which basically goes along the lines of Theon saying, "Oh, I still feel really bad about what I've done," and John's like, "Yeah, well, you should be, you should feel like that." Um, but John has some sort of comforting things to say, and says says to Theon that, you know, 
the- Theon's whole character ever since he went back to the Iron Islands has been this conflict about who is he? Is he is he a Stark or is yeah. he a Greyjoy? And John yeah. just says, "Look, you you both, so don't worry about yeah. it." Um, yeah. And maybe you should have <laughs> realized that before. Um, yeah, but that's the difference, isn't it, between somebody who was willing? Well, I mean, no, that that is different. But they both grew up in situations where they weren't really welcome in the household. They were privileged, but they weren't, you know, they weren't heirs. They weren't children of the house. Hmm. And Theon has this split identity of belonging to another noble house that he's never interacted with, basically. But then John has this thing of not really being noble at all, but being treated like a nobleman. Hmm. And um, and so it is interesting to me that in that situ- situation, John felt permissioned almost to look at Ned Stark and go, oh, I'll be like him. Like That's yeah. what I'm going to be like. That's what I admire. That's who I am. And he has a reason to say that's who I am. Whereas Theon looks at it and goes, I wish I was like that, but I'm fundamentally not allowed to be. Mm. And I thought that was really, this this scene, like I found what's been done to Theon over the course of the TV series really frustrating. Um, But I actually thought Alfie Allen did some great acting in this scene and in the Mm. scene after it as well. Um, lovely stuff and I also like how how northern in a very real way John's kind of compassion is for Theon in this scene you know what I mean he's like yeah. he says he says the right thing you know he says to the extent that it's mine to forgive I forgive you and he doesn't need to say that you know what I mean that's a very mm. gracious thing to say but he doesn't give him a shoulder to cry on you know what I mean but he, he just ends yeah. up saying you know he says you know Theon says I, I want to know the right thing to do and John basically goes, well, you know that already, otherwise you wouldn't be talking to me, and walks out of the room. And it's mm. very much the sort of, it's the, the Night's Watch version of a manly hug. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 you know, but it is, that's what it is nonetheless. And I really liked that as a, as a character moment for John. Yeah, so the scene ends basically with, with Theon saying, Yara tried to save me when I was captured. I should do the same. And John saying, yeah, yeah, you should. So Theon yeah. go, goes down to his his crew that's that crew that saved him with that boat um we have theon beatdown party 99 as he um gets bashed around by this guy this captain um it's interesting you said you really like this scene because i found it kind of boring um oh really I kinda, yeah I've, I've stopped really caring a great deal about theon anymore and sort of i'm just waiting for other plot lines to come along so and i, I just thought this whole thing like he tries to convince this captain in his ship. There's this captain and this crew who I assume followed this captain for a, for a long time. They were the only survivors of this big battle, so I assume they're not the most, you know, death or glory people in the world um, for Iron <laughs> Islanders. Uh, as we said yeah. last time, the fact that this guy's been giving Theon shit all the time for not <laughs> dying trying to save Yara when his entire ship has survived because he's done the same thing. But um, they're gonna cut and run, and they change their mind and decide to go on a suicide mission, basically because Theon takes a beating and then ends up beating up the captain instead. Um, basically because Theon's super secret secret weapon is he can take a kick in the balls. <laughs> it seems to be like, <laughs> not, not I I understand that maybe it won't hurt as much because he doesn't have any bollocks anymore, but. It yeah. seemed to be like, not only did it not hurt, he didn't feel it. Not only did he not feel it, it gave him this sort of second wind to beat the crap out of this guy <laughs> yeah. after being on death's door. I was like, what? Yeah. 
Why? It was like it was like a yeah. like do like a like a some kind of like beat 'em up game where you're nearly dead yeah. and then someone kicks him in the balls and his health restored restored and then he and then he wins. <laughs> I just all of it. Yeah. I just thought I don't I don't I a I'm not that bothered about Theon and B I just don't I don't believe this to yeah. be honest. Yeah, no, no, and I was the same way. It's because he's too good at acting down and out. And mm. so for me, for the first half of the scene, I was like, oh, yeah, there he goes. Well, yeah, no, he's down on the floor, obviously, because that's what Theon does. All right, mm. so now we're going to have the mandated two-minute period of Theon having the shit kicked out of him to no discernible purpose before we move on to the next scene. And mm. when the reverse came, because this is a season of reverses, it wasn't as satisfying as it should have been. Because, like you say, I'm like, what is it, armoured down there? Scar <laughs> tissue now inches thick or something. Because he was basically bouncing off of him. And, like, I read a, I read an analysis. I broke my rule, actually, and read a, read a kind of after-the-fact analysis of the episode. And um, somebody was saying this is more about his ability to withstand pain. And if it was that, then cool. But what it looked to me was his ability to magically withstand and benefit from a kick to where his bollocks used to be and that's different because mm. the rest of the time when he's being punched in the face which hurts a lot he's got no extra fortitude at all he's still falling over and crawling and rolling around and in all sorts of pain and rubbish mm. so yeah I agree with you I didn't I didn't buy it as you know as, as, as good a moment as it was and in fairness the moment where he staggers into the surf and washes his face with salt water and really reconnects with that part of his identity was genuinely moving yeah that was even good. though it happened in the context of him like beating this guy in a fist fight and then basically unable to stand turning to this group of people and going for Yara and instead of them all going I reckon I could take you now you are there for the taking and then I will be the captain they all go for Yara and then they follow him and I'm like no no that's not the way we haven't set up the Iron Islanders to be easily led rhetorical wankers no 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 no. that's not the way it works Theon is somebody else's breakfast the moment they get around the nearest headland (laughs) yeah didn't buy it at all but the salt water moment was beautiful like you say I'll tell you we then move back up to Winterfell and um, Arya is brought before Sansa Um, looks like she's going to be charged now um, she, she she says Sansa says I you know I charge you with murder and treason. Um, how do you you know how do you plead, Lord Baelish? The old switcheroo comes around. <laughs> they actually, I don't think. Sorry, I was going to say they should have had that. All the um, all the all the guards just went. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> they should have done that. It's like oh snap. <laughs> I don't think I've ever gone from exasperation to delight so quickly in the course of a single scene of television or any recorded media anywhere. Because <laughs> this whole thing, building up Sandra and Arya hating each other, has made no sense to me and has been like, this is bollocks. If this is really where you're going, this is bollocks. Mm. And it was really where they were going, I think. like They did want me to buy into that storyline. As such, that was a bollocks decision. Mm. And that wasn't the reason that this scene played for me. It set up the switcheroo, which, fair enough. But... It's the fact that Baelish is a wanker and now he's now he's had his comeuppance. It's yeah. just oh, it was good. There were cheers in the room when we watched this. <laughs> it's good, eh? Because as Aya walks in, it cuts to Baelish. He does a little smirk, like oh yeah, 
And then um, within seconds, yeah, it's turned around. Uh, Sansa reads out the rap sheet and quite the list of it, accusations it's here. It's fairly long. I had forgotten most of these as well. Like, I had forgotten how responsible Baelish was for the war. Yeah. And, like, just what a wrong and he is. Which, of course, they were trying to put me back on by having Bran tell him that Chaos is a ladder. Mm. Um, but, um, like, but I was, I completely, oh, yeah, he killed Liza Aaron and he killed... John Arryn and started the war and gave the dagger to the guy that was going to kill Bran. (laughs) Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it betrayed Ned and all this, and all all this, this big rap sheet comes down. It is a little, um, like taking a step back, it is a little worrying that this is the, now the sort of method of justice up at the north is it's basically the sort of Bran stroke which smeller persuaven who basically says all this stuff <laughs> and then everyone's like right that must be true yeah yeah that's definitely true that's absolutely what it is <laughs> and you have a cat named Beelzebubbles <laughs> yeah because it is pretty much all based on the testimony of Bran saying what he's seen um, yeah Oh, well, that's absolute monarchy, though, isn't it? Well, like she can do whatever she wants. Yeah, of course. And uh, and so you know, I love I, I love the I-, I love the idea that Baelish, I love Baelish's response to this as well. I love the idea that he's been caught out and that he's got nowhere left to go, hmm. and how quickly he ends up on his knees. But before he ends up on his knees, the moment that he ends up in front of Sansa, trying to whisper to her, going, "If we could just speak alone, I'm sure that I could convince you that I'm still a good guy." Yeah. And she's like, "Ha, nope." Yeah. And I can't believe that he still wanted to try that at that point. Like that's just barking up the wrong forest, Pete. Yeah. And there is the interesting thing is when when Sansa speaks to Arya about it a bit later on and says, "I do think he he did like love me in some s- sort of sick way." Um, yeah. There is a kernel of something like that he was. Tr- I think there is something like deep down with Littlefinger that he thought he was doing something sort of right. Um, but it's all wrapped up in such a thick web of lies, deceit and backstabbing that he, he just get the the whole, the whole weight of it drags whatever he was trying to do down with him. Um, Mm. and yeah, he ends up on his knees before that. He asks Bronze Yon to take him back to the Vale and is like, nope. (laughs) And (laughs) I love him for doing that. (laughs) Bronze Yon. Nope, 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 nope. Hey, hang on a second. Here's a question. Where's Robin? Oh, he's just he's just chilling in the Vale with his owl or his eagle, whatever he got. Oh yeah, they sent him back, didn't they? Yeah, they said you're useless, yeah. Robin. Go up to the Vale. Yeah, there's no <laughs> point in paying your salary anymore. <laughs> yeah, because of all like how fast people have been like teleporting around this season, there was a great thing with um, Bronze Yon where. Um, Littlefinger goes up like it was like a like a cartoon strip. Littlefinger goes up to him and says, "I demand that you take me immediately to the Vale." And just Bronze John's response is, uh, Bronze John's response is, um, "You cannot fast travel when surrounded by enemies." <laughs> it's just like a computer game. <laughs> <laughs> That's totally true. It's uh, it's Fallout Five, the Westeros edition, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, Littlefinger ends up on his knees. Um, Arya executes him by just drawing the dagger across his throat, um, and he dies trying to speak, which is a, a very sort of apt way for Littlefinger to to go out, isn't it? Mm. Um, yeah, very much. And I'll say what also struck me here: um, finally, a sort of a, a character death that you know actually matters. 
which hasn't happened for Game of Thrones, a series as you said last week that's built itself on on this, um, killing big characters, hasn't really happened this season. There's been Littlefinger, there's been, and then beyond that, you've got, you know, the Sand Snakes, Tarleganson, um, the what's his face, Thoros. They're all sort of yeah. very much sort of third, second or third tier characters, probably third tier yeah. characters. Yeah, um, very much. Certainly nothing to nothing to rival John being stabbed in the heart. Yeah, and 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 even even Littlefinger is sort of this season. It's felt like he's just been like at the end of his rope for a long time as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, I think maybe something we'll we'll mention at the end. Uh, so yeah, so but then then we go back down to King's Landing. Jamie's getting the generals ready to march north with the Lannister army. Cersei comes in and says, "No, no, no, <laughs> come on, Jamie. Do, do do you know me at all, <laughs> <laughs> bro? Do you even Cersei?" <laughs> it's her question. Yeah. And I like that she accuses him of treason for yeah. doing this as well. She doesn't just come in and go, "Haha, switched you. Not happening that way." Yeah. But instead, she comes in and goes, "How dare you, sir?" <laughs> you know? Yeah. So um, so Cersei's like, "No, no, we've got a dastardly plan as as ever." We're, we're going to continue to just serve ourselves and fuck the realm. And, yeah. and and Jamie, this is where Jamie basically parts ways with her. This is the breaking point. Jamie says, you know, I'm still going to go north, regardless of what you say. Um, yeah. And Cersei threatens to kill him. For, yeah. for And then when, when he says, are you going to kill me? She nods to the mountain. And at that moment, I thought, oh, my goodness, this is it. He's, he's finished. Yeah. And the mountain doesn't kill him. And then Jamie says, I don't believe you. And then she allows him to leave. But I just thought, remarkable restraint from the mountain here. Because um, un- unless he knows to interpret that nod as I'm seriously considering, considering it, but don't do it yet. So I've still got an out rather than yeah. just the nod as being take his head off right now. Um, it's very lucky for yeah. Jamie that the, the mountain's so nuanced in understanding Cersei's instruction there. Yeah, well, and yeah, nuance is not a word that you would associate with the surname Clegane, is it? So <laughs> I, I question that. Um, but i tell you what was interesting, was I thought that was a setup beforehand, that Cersei was like, look, I'm going to nod at you, but don't actually do it. Um <laughs> And that what she's doing there, therefore, Cersei, is um, she's willing to go further to try and get her way and manipulate Jamie than she is with Tyrion. Mm. And one of them is the father of her children, and the other one is somebody she professes to despise. But with Tyrion, she doesn't tell the mountain to do it. Mm. And with with Jamie, she does, and in what looked to me like an attempt to get him back on the reservation, you know, get him back in line. Mm. And that's that it doesn't work is kind of awesome like to me like i i I loved that it didn't work Mm. um even though like yeah like you say massive moment almost worth jamie not dying at the battle of the loot train (laughs) almost not in the slightest bit worth that i still think this would be a better series if jamie had died then would have been a massive death but <laughs> so Jamie rides away from King's Landing on horseback as he's sort of putting his glove on his gold hand. The first snowflakes fall on him. Oh, what a shot! Oh yeah, the, well this whole sequence where then it goes to the snowfall, so just a bit, a bit of music, the snow falling on the dragon pit and on King's Landing's walls and on the Red Keep and then on that sort of little courtyard where the the map of Westeros is. 
I just thought this was really, really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously concerning for the people of, uh, <laughs> of King's yeah. London. Well, I mean, no flipping doubt. Hmm. Yeah, winter really is here. And finally, it felt like a, a nice denouement as well. Um, yeah, yeah. The back at Winterfell, Sam arrives. That's where he was going. He's fast travelled to Winterfell. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that as well. He's picked from the map, double click. <laughs> um, he comes in to see Bran, and Bran's like, I'm now the three-eyed raven. <laughs> and Sam's response is great. He just goes, oh, like, oh, great. <laughs> I don't know what that <laughs> means. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? He's like, oh, yeah. Oh, lovely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sam and Bran have this chat, and Bran's saying, "Oh, John, John's on his way back." And Sam's, Sam's saying, "Have you heard? Did you see that in a vision?" And Bran just sort of holds up the, the scroll. Like <laughs> that, was, that was that was quality. That was quality. I yeah. appreciated that. Yeah. And then th- then Bran says, "You know, oh, J- John needs to know the truth. Um, he isn't a he isn't a uh, a snow. He's not a bastard up here. He's a bastard down south." And and then. Sam corrects Bran because he says, oh no, there was this annulment because Gilly told me about it earlier on. And it seems like even though he sort of rode over that and said, I've not got time for this bollocks, we've got to go, he did actually understand what she was saying, which which, which I thought was a bit weird. I th- Yeah, I think he said he copied it. So I said that in this party and I was corrected. Um, I think he said, I think he was copying... He said he copied it out. Ah, yeah. So he's so Gilly's reading it from something that he's copied already, and therefore is um, like he's just he's not saying, "Oh, good heavens, that's amazing," because he already knows. Hmm. And he's like, "Yeah, whatever. I know this is bollocks. We're leaving." Yeah. Um, rather than that, so actually, because yeah, I, I, I said the same thing, I thought that was a bollocks moment, but actually, I think it, it holds up. Yeah. Um, so I do like how Sam corrects Brad after this big spiel about I'm the three-eyed raven. Sam then corrects him, and he's like, "Who's the three-eyed yeah. raven now, bitch?" That was great. <laughs> yeah, no, it's totally true. But I love that Bran basically then goes into whatever file structure he has in his brain for yeah. seeing everything that's ever happened anywhere, and goes, oh, "Search for disturbing blonde king talking to dark-haired Stark queen." next to river oh found him yeah and, like i don't really know what the mechanism is by which he does that and so it is more of a deus ex machina than most supernatural things are in stories like this yeah but, but um yeah i quite like that because i i thought that demonstrated how he does have all it's like as we said before having the internet he does have access to all this information but the challenge he's got is knowing what to search for um, yeah. And and he sometimes needs someone like Sam to direct him to say, "Can you look specifically at this thing that happened?" And then he can yeah. then he can find out what what's really happening. In that sense, this plotline really is a product of its time when it was written, isn't it? Um, yeah. With the the yeah. whole sort of um, that that sort of parallel. So very much. And I, I will put in that plug actually for being a history graduate, which mm. I, you and I may be. Um, that it's not enough having all the information you have to know where to go to find it and how to understand it when you get it exactly eh? and that sir is what a history degree teaches you <laughs> um so we see this scene where there's Rhaegar and uh, you know, Bagelgon and um and <laughs> and Lyanna Stark getting married Rhaegar looks yeah. um 
a lot like his uh, his dickhead brother uh, Viserys. Isn't I it? thought that. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is supposed to be a really lovely moment, but no, it's Viserys. <laughs> oh, don't remind me of Viserys. Like, yeah. and that's quite an achievement as well that 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 character can be have been so well played as a complete ass face that six seasons later I'm like, oh, I hate him. Yeah. Just look at his hair. Yeah, his made nose. such an impression. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then this this cuts into this sort of this combination of cuts between Bran and um, and John, where yeah, you know Bran reveals now um, for anyone who didn't know that John is in fact the heir to the Iron Throne. He's a Targaryen, um, just as we see John effect well shagging his aunt so john and daenerys get it on and yeah i've just got yeah and the juxtaposition of these things as well makes it impossible to escape the idea that like there are other points in the in the plot where unpleasant things have happened which the makers certainly seem to have been very much enjoying ramsey bolton's ramp through the north is definitely one (laughs) of them where you're like why are you showing us these horrendous events in such excruciating detail Mm. but you were able to presume that that stuff was happening in the service of world building and plot and shit. Now, <laughs> as we've seen in this series, they no longer care about either world building or plot. Um, and so this juxtaposition is, is inescapable that what they want us to do is sympathise with relatives shagging each other. Hmm. At which point, Matt, I would like to take a short detour having recently spoken about history. Are you familiar with the story, Matt, of Charles II of Spain? Um... Yes, but only because I saw this thing that you posted. <laughs> but but do, do explain. So Charles II of Spain uh, ruled uh, until 1700 in Spain, right? Uh, that would be a twist, wouldn't family, it, if it wasn't Spain? Yeah, exactly, in, in Monaco, <laughs> no. Um, his family had basically stopped marrying other people about 100 years before he was born, right? Mm. So... Um, he had one married couple as all eight of his great grandparents, and I'll just I'll just read here uh, from Wikipedia uh, about what 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 was what was going on. Right, well aware that they owed their power to fortunate marriages, they married between themselves to protect their gains. Charles II's parents were actually uncle and niece. Therefore, Charles was not only their son but was also his mother's first cousin and his father's great nephew right charles did not learn to speak until the age of four didn't learn to walk until the age of eight and was treated virtually as an infant until he was 10 years old his jaw was so badly deformed that he could barely speak or chew when uh, when a particular nobleman came to court to try and take control, he walked in, covered his nose, and insisted that the king, at the very least, brush his hair, because he hadn't been asked to stay clean in any way. Right? Wow. That's what happens when royal lines inbreed. And there's just a bit... And, like, and, and mind you, what happened after his death was, uh, like you know, the first continent-wide war in Europe, or one of the first continent-wide wars in Europe, the mm. wars of the Spanish succession, mm. which actually took place in the New World as well, so possibly the first global conflict. And it happened because relatives married in order to maintain their dynastic position. And you're asking me to be excited about Jon Snow and Daenerys Targaryen getting it on. 
No, mate. Absolutely not. <laughs> and you're asking me also, therefore, to buy into the idea that the Targaryens aren't basically a line of people made out of their own teeth. You know, like, it's just, it's, it's unimaginable that they would function, never mind be beautiful people capable of riding dragons from one end of Westeros to the other in 15 minutes. Hmm. Um, yeah. So it's don't, a concern. Don't shag your relatives is what I'm saying. Don't <laughs> shag your relatives. That's the moral of the story. Yeah, so <laughs> I wonder where that's going to go. I wonder what, what happens when John and Daenerys find out what's going on there. I kind of hope it's... Have you seen Green Wing? Uh, no. Green Wing's great British, British kind of TV series. Sort of sketch comedy with a plot set in a hospital. And there is a plot line about uh, accidental incest. <laughs> And, and I have to say, the way Green Wing handled it was a lot more like the person who finds out he's accidentally shagged his mother goes, like, like really loses it and tries to drive off a cliff and stuff. Mm. Um, <laughs> and that I found a far more reasonable dramatic treatment of that storyline than what I found in Game of Thrones, I have to say. <laughs> more Green Wing, please. More <laughs> Green Wing. Uh, we then head up to Winterfell. Aya and Sansa having a chat on the walls. Um, the same kind of shot that we had um, Sansa and Jon um, on at the end of last season. Um, and yeah, as we said, we've talked about this already where uh, Sansa says, I think, I think he did love me in a weird sort of sick way. And um, she says to Aya, you're the strongest person I know. And um, Aya says, that's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. Um, but it's nice to have a uh, after the sort of the last few episodes where they've been sort of chipping off at each other, it's nice yeah. to see them sort of close again, isn't it, um, in this yeah. scene? Uh, yeah, yeah, totally. They both reminisce about a couple of things that Ned said as well and how, how they missed their dad. I do find it quite... Uh, Kate said this to me when we were watching it. Isn't it interesting how there are all the Stark kids always bang on about how much they miss dad, never mention the mum. <laughs> <laughs> that's true actually isn't it yeah that's absolutely true I'm presumably it's because it was her who was giving them the old lady stoneheart look when they didn't tidy up the bedrooms you know? <laughs> yeah you think Ned was the soft one and uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh absolutely and he loved being the soft one as well absolutely <laughs> playing the dad's your best mate card for all it's worth <laughs> um, so that's where we leave uh, the Starks for now then we go up to East Watch final scene the 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 Night King is here, so this is amazing. When um, we have Beric and Tormund on the top of the wall looking out, and then just yeah. the the White Walkers come out of the tree line, fo- followed by the army of the dead, including the giants. Um, Tormund, for the uh, for the first time, I think you see genuine fear on his face as well. Yeah, um, yeah. which is quite striking. Um, yeah, and then this ice dragon appears. And it's like, oh, it's got these holy wings, and it looks it looks fantastic. And uh, yeah, yeah. And it and it br- it basically brings down the wall. It breathes this blue something on it. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And and the the whole thing comes crashing down. Uh, Beric and Tormund, unknown fate here. Do you reckon they died here, or did they make it to the bit of wall that doesn't come crumble down? If that absurd Magnificent Seven Sally past the wall was the only reason that they set up Beric Dondarrion and his magic fiery sword, I will feel like that's a missed opportunity, to be honest. Hmm. And in the same way, Tormund is great value. I would watch a Tormund spin-off show, to be honest with you. <laughs> I would I would love it. However, um, 
I think they're dead. There's no way you can fall from a wall that size and survive. Um, you know what I mean? And they yeah. were at the top, and it was melted, and we saw it collapse. No, they are done, and I'm very, very sad about that. I think they might survive if... Okay, so you saw loads of people trying to run down the steps, and they all died. Yeah. It looked like Beric and Tormund were running along the top of the wall, and there is a point where, at the end, once he's, melt- once he's brought the wall down, they, yeah. they've basically brought a chunk down. So if you can run along far enough, you're going to be on the chunk that hasn't been brought down. So That's true. I, I, That's I wonder true. if they're going to keep them. The, 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 I wonder if the opening scene in the new season in a couple of years is them sitting on the re- top of the remains of the wall watching this massive group yeah. file past. Yeah, um, yeah, could be. Could very we'll, well be. We'll see. But they could have just as easily cut back next season and, they, yeah, they, they're just gone. That's it. Yeah. Um, so the the Night King and um, like, so then all the whites and the White Walkers cross the barrier and start, like, making their way down south, you know, they're like, oh, smell that fresh air down here. This is lovely. <laughs> Go on our holidays. I'll tell, what, I'll tell you what, though. I'll tell you, they haven't got fish and chips. They don't do proper fish and chips. <laughs> Where can I get myself a full English, they seem to say. What, one, um, one, one, um, one white walker's got a little ghetto blast on his shoulder. He's going, whoa, we're going to Ibiza. <laughs> <laughs> No, I tell you, they're walking, walking through the wall there, all of them just in their zombie voices with no tongues, going, Champion is champion is away, away, away. <laughs> yeah. Winter fell away, is that? That's, <laughs> that's, that's amazing. That's a, undead lads on tour. Undead lads on tour. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this was, a, this was a, a really great sort of um, dramatic end to the season. It did make me just look back to like just oh that mission, that mission you you taught that ridiculous let's nick a zombie mission. Let's look at what's that 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 has actually sort of led to yeah. here. So on the plus side, they've got um, shaky promise from Cersei. <laughs> on the minus side, they've lost a dragon. They've brought down the wall, which was the biggest thing stopping the Night's King coming down. Um, and now they've got an army of, a de- of the dead rampaging through the north already. Um, yeah. So they can't even defend from the wall. Yeah. I mean, worst yeah. strategic blunder of all time. Absolutely. And to have been saying that for three episodes in a row and not really to have had anybody give me a, a reasonable explanation for it really does mean that this doesn't have the sort of dramatic punch that I would have expected it to at the end of last season. Yeah. You'd have said at the end of the next season, wall comes down ice dragon i'd be like fucking hell but how they made it happen really takes all the juice out of that which i found a bit Mm. more than a bit saddening really and the thing is as well this is like the 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 plan is so bad because so many things have gone right for them to get out alive with that they've been constantly rolling sixes ever since they put this plan into motion and they've still ended up in such a dreadful position as a result of it it also um does this also show that the Night King was like laying a trap here because he needed a dragon to yeah, get south? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that seems very reasonable to me, and I can definitely see him having some sort of green sight situation because of Bran. Mm. Um, I saw something after we had that conversation as well. I don't know if I mentioned it last time, um, but um, 
apparently if you go back and look at the scene where he's where he's signing up to do his the last part of the uh, of the heptathlon uh, <laughs> bit got his javelin out and ready to go um they've got three javelins with them ah. there's five whites at the back five wa- sorry five white walkers at the back with three javelins and just two ice swords <laughs> you've got so, you've got to admire his swagger the night king he's like how many javelins do i make well there are three dragons make three javelins well, what if you miss i'm not gonna miss make three javelins <laughs> <laughs> make three of them absolutely no more than that <laughs> yeah because he did miss with one as well didn't he yeah, pride comes before a fall, Night's King. <laughs> <laughs> In fairness, though, he styled it out fairly well. <laughs> like you know, he's he's managed to turn that into bringing the wall down. So he's he's definitely he's you know he's he's drinking drinking cocktails tonight. Yeah, yeah. I like the idea of them waiting out by that lake as well. And he's sort of lieutenant saying, "So why are we all waiting here?" And he said, "Look, I reckon they're gonna send some like party north." Just to try and nick one of our whites or something, and that'll mean they'll they'll have to bring the dragons up here. And this lieutenant's like, surely no one's stupid enough to do that. And the night king's like, shh, 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 just wait, just wait. <laughs> <laughs> just trust me, trust me. Who's the daddy? Who's the cold daddy? Who's the one with the frozen horns on his head? That's right, it's me. Hey, baby. Hey. Yeah. So um. So yeah. So ends the series. Okay. This this is um. A chance for us then to know, in in the wider context, how is this how is this series going? And how excited are you for the the next next season? Um, very very because there's all these plot lines I've been waiting uh, I've been waiting for for a long time, and mm. so I'm excited about seeing them sort of come to fruition. Although a lot of them have now, but I'm also I'm not looking forward to it as much as I otherwise would have been because it's been so rushed this season. And if mm. they're going to carry on doing that next season, and if and I think you were absolutely bang on the money when you said you know what George Martin's done is they've gone from working from a 1,500 page book of plot to a single A4 sheet with some big plot points on it. Mm. Um, you know that's really affected their storytelling quality to me, and um, I think you were dead right about that. And I think that's going to continue because we're not going to get. Uh, what is it? The uh, winds of winter and a dream of spring mm. before the next season comes out. Um, so yeah, yeah, sad really. Uh, yeah, the um, I think that this really does show now with with this final scene. It's obvious that <clears throat> with this final scene, I think it's it's quite clear that one of the plot points was Night King gets a dragon and turns it, which brings down the wall so they can come south. And yeah, I do feel a bit for the showrunners here, as when they got that plot point and then said, "Well, how how on earth does that happen?" And they just got a shoulder shrug, and they yeah. were like, "Well, yeah. and this is this is the best they could do." And I'll be interested yeah. to see what George Martin can come up with, which is better than this, um, when yeah. he actually writes the books, if he ever actually gets around to writing it. Yeah. Um, but yeah. it it does feel like a real. Like just painted into a corner. How on earth do what you know? What possible reason could Daenerys yeah. have for taking a dragon's north? Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I suppose I, I, you know what would have made a bit more sense. It wouldn't have been as good, much fun to watch. But if John had said, you know, there's this dead army, you got to believe me, and Daenerys says, oh, I'm going to go and see for myself, 
and then she loses a dragon that yeah. way. Maybe yeah. that's how they do yeah. it in the in the books. I don't know. Yeah, totally. But then you need somebody on the ground to take her out again, or you need some reason for her to feel that she should do that. Yeah. So I suppose they, John and Daenerys could have got together earlier, and you could have done it for love. Yeah. Feels a little bit tenuous though to me. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really looking forward to the next season, obviously. But um, I am, I wouldn't have expected to be, you know, that there are, you always expect there's going to be cliffhangers, um, for an end of Game of Thrones season. I didn't expect one of the cliffhangers to be, will they stick the landing with this um, <laughs> the final final season yeah. of the series. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's almost meta, isn't it? Mm. You know, oh, we've messed with you, we've killed your favourite characters, we've sent the, you know, plot lines in directions you never would have guessed. Now, the final cliffhanger to end them all. Are we still any good at this? <laughs> Tune in next year to find out. Yeah. Um, I think the this season, more than any others, has been... I don't think, it, I don't think this series has ever looked so good in terms of just the yeah. visuals of it. And, um, That's true, yeah. S- some of the... Some of the things that you've seen from the ice dragon to the loot train battle to mo- most subtle things like the, the the snowfall in King's Landing and um, the way the characters, some of the costumes of the characters and things like that, um, it's never looked so great. The spectacle's been fantastic. Um, I do think, yeah, we've spoken at length about the plot problems this, uh, this um, season and how they're taking a lot of shortcuts now where at the expense of realistic world building um as real as realistic as you can make it in a world with magic and dragons obviously um but it does feel like we're a bit more a bit less tethered in reality these days um you, you can't really you know there aren't doesn't seem to be many rules that you can use to ground yourself anymore um and I think another issue that <clears throat> for all the the great spectacle of this season another issue has been as I said, when after the Littlefinger death, there haven't been many big characters. This, and it does feel like the show this season. I think you you might you might have said it last week. Um, has lost its fangs a bit with that. Um, it just I, I think more, especially secondary characters should have, especially the the expedition beyond the wall. That was yeah. the fact that only one character died that that, that we cared about was yeah. i think a bit of a mistake that should have been yeah. more costly and um yeah there's just there's a lot of you know you got your sand snakes tali and co and um and little finger not a massive um yeah compared to other seasons that doesn't seem to be as big a sort of haul there, there was there was an interesting point that one of the other podcasts made i think it was the bold move one that um, this is a problem that series, um, like <clears throat> long-running series, sometimes have when they decide to wrap up in a couple of years. That the you know you say right, there are two more seasons and then we're finished. The season before last almost suffers because it becomes a bit of a placeholder. You don't want to shoot your bullets um, on all like the great things that are going to happen as the finale, but stuff still needs to happen because you've got a series to fill. So it feels a little more empty than the other series, and I definitely thought that for some of this. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a solid call as well. And the thing is that we, I would have thought Game of Thrones of all TV series 
would have had the sort of juice because it's got such a meticulously realized world mm. would have had the juice to sort of take us through that and have the stones to be like you know what it's going to be slow we're going to get there there's going to be a big moment at the end the rest of it is all making you wait we're going to ratchet up this tension and mm. all of that and i'm sure they would have done that if they'd have had a book's worth of plot but because they haven't they defaulted to fake click cliffhangers mm. and kind of preserving their story resources so that they can get through the last season mm. and yeah i mean i think it, at the end of the day the fact that george martin didn't get the books done in time for them to have a book's worth of plot i think really will go down as one of the great missed opportunities mm. of, of, of popular culture but that's only because they did such a good job of the early stuff the early stuff was so rich and well realized and so on yeah um I'll be interested to see whether people find this to have re rewatch value after it's all over, you know, you leave it a couple of years, whether you would want to go back and go through it all again, knowing that the cherry on the cake feels a little bit underwhelming. Mm. I think a lot of it will depend on just, yeah, just how that final season goes, which is why it's such a cliffhanger <laughs> uh, in a meta way. Um, but yeah, so I think the, the overall impression we've had from this series has been, um, well, this season has been, we've still enjoyed it, just um, there, there have been it's become a slightly different show this season um, in terms of the world building um, balance with uh, with spectacle but um yeah, you know we're still we're still enjoying it we're still well up for for the next season which is it's got to be a good year and a half away I think so we've got a lot of uh, plenty of time to wait between but don't worry we, we've got we've got stuff to do in between that we're going to be getting back on the back on the books which is what this podcast is really all about so um we will be revealing which book we're going to do next for shortlive royal we've got a big back catalogue of them as well if you want to take a look just go on shortliveroyal.co is our website and you can they're all they're all arranged in order nicely for you there you can pick out which um which books interested interest you and then have a page by page guide to them and uh, we'll be doing another one next week to be confirmed TBC, as TBC. they say in the business. Yeah, we we we're now face. I feel like somebody who's walked into a massive library and has had to watch a lot on a TV screen before he was allowed into the library, and now I'm sort of overwhelmed with all the options that we have. What the hell will we read? I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. All the options. If you have any suggestions for us, sharkliverallpodcast at gmail.com That's sharkliverallpodcast at gmail.com or messages on Twitter at sharkliveroyal, or find us on the Facebook the facebook and, and until next next time dave until next watch time. out for the eye zombies and the cookie monster zombies i, I will never forget them never <laughs> bye bye Players.